And I am going to ask those who remain to join me in 2 Corinthians. If you have a copy of the Bible with you, I would ask you to turn there. We're dealing with a few technical issues today, so I would normally say the words will be on the screen, but we're trying to smoke out a few problems this week. And so hopefully you have a copy of the Bible with you or on your phone. If you don't have a copy of the Bible to call your own, we have some, and we keep them on hand. We would love to give you one just as our gift to you. Uh, So please take us up on that. But I'm going to ask you to join me in the New Testament letter of 2 Corinthians. We'll begin in chapter 5. We're going to be a little bit all over the place, but everywhere we will be this morning will be 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5. We're kind of starting toward the end. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I wonder if you would just join me in prayer. Lord, I confess to you the very thing that we just sang. I need you. Every hour, I need you. Lord, would you forgive us for the false sense of self-sufficiency that we often live under? This sense that we have what we need. We can provide what we need. Lord, if it is not for you, if you do not come, and if you do not move, nothing of any spiritual value will occur today. We know that you will honor every reading, teaching, singing, preaching, praying of your word. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit in a powerful way to help us, weak as we are, to combine with faith in our hearts the things that we're about to hear. Would you do that, God? We need you. In the name of Jesus, amen. In 2004, uh, you might remember, uh, those of you who are old enough or old enough to pay attention, there was a tsunami in Sri Lanka and India. Uh, They were pummeled by this really kind of unprecedented wave that hit them. There was a 9.0 Uh, earthquake that took place out in the ocean and these waves were so tall and were moving so quickly at a speed of over 500 miles per hour they covered over 1,000 miles before they hit the coast of (coughs) Sri Lanka. Now, the officials said at the moment that there was no way they could have predicted what would have happened. There was no way they could have warned people in time. But then as folks began uh, reviewing everything that, that, that had happened, they said, listen, we know that it's not possible to predict an earthquake. Nobody knows when those are going to happen. It is possible to predict what happens after an earthquake. That when a big 9.0 earthquake happens in the middle of the ocean, you can pretty well bet on there's going to be a tsunami to follow. The government had about an hour to warn the population, but they failed to do so, the Seattle Times said, December 28, 2004. The reality was danger was coming. And there was time to warn those who were in the path of danger, but no one did. Today we're talking about evangelism, 
This is the last, the fifth and last of our gospel habits that we have talked about as we're looking at spiritual disciplines over the last five weeks. And, and today we're looking at the biblical discipline of sharing the gospel with those who are near to us but far from God. Carl Henry, who's a powerhouse Christian thinker of the 20th century, he said one time, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. For those who do not hear the gospel, the gospel is not good news. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And today, amid an American church of dwindling baptism numbers, declining conversions, and depleted churches, an uncomfortable truth is becoming very, very obvious. We don't share the gospel. Can we just be honest about that and own that? I mean, we don't share the gospel. The average Christian reports that they do not share the gospel in the course of of 365 days. LifeWay research found that 29% of unchurched Americans, about one in three, say that they've never had a Christian explain what the gospel is. As a matter of fact, if you're into social media and you get on uh, some of these Facebook reels or, or TikTok, I don't really do TikTok, uh, but, but there's these Facebook reels and Instagram reels, some people, their whole evangelism strategy is to walk up to people on the street and ask them, do you know what I mean when I say the word gospel? Have you ever had a Christian tell you what the gospel is? And I know it's kind of like watching these police chases. They only show the ones of the people who get caught, right? But, but the reality is most of the people who respond to these questions say, I don't even know what that word means. I could not tell you what the gospel is, let alone accept it or reject it. I don't know what it is to accept it or reject it. And that's the, the world that we are living in today. It might be possible to believe in uh, Todd County, Kentucky, a place of 13,000 people and probably a church for a, a good number of those, that most of the people around us would be familiar with the gospel. But friends, I would submit to you that the biggest need for our churches, among our church attenders is to have clarity over what the gospel is. We are a people who, outside of these walls, frankly, don't share the gospel. And inside many of our church walls, the gospel is not explained very well, if we can just be frank and own that. So here's what I hope to do in 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 5. This is not going to be a, here's how to share the gospel, um, I do that from, on occasion on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. We share a, a, a method for how to clearly explain the gospel. What I'm going to try to do today is to convince you about the heart attitudes that need to be in place if we're ever going to get to the place where we do share the gospel, right? That has to happen before we even adopt a method. There are many good methods out there. So here's the first point, uh, and this is on the back of your bulletin. If you'd like to just follow along and look at the, the Bible passages, the references at least are listed there. The first thing that we must do is love others. And I would even say that I may have made a mistake in how I, uh, in how I wrote this point. Before we love others, we have to love God. And so on the back of your bulletin, if you'd like, you could even write above the word others, you could write the word God. Love God before we love 
others. Look what the Bible says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Paul has been building a case to the Corinthians. He's been talking about what the gospel is in chapter 4, why it is that people reject the gospel in chapter 4. He says that we have this treasure, the good news of Jesus, in jars of clay. Like we're just these ordinary pots, nothing very much impressive about us, but inside of us we carry the gospel with us. He says that. And then he talks in chapter 5 about how our bodies are wasting away. All of us will die unless the Lord comes quickly. And then when our bodies finally do completely waste away, we will go somewhere, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then you get to this really important, pivotal word in verse 11. Anytime in the Bible where you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? He makes a pivot right here in verse 11. After he has been explaining the gospel, after he has been reminding us what happens when we die, which is something that most of us try to push out of our minds and out of our consciousness, he says in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, Based on everything that I've just wrote to you, I've just written to you, Corinthians, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Friends, the simple fact is this. Our willingness and our obedience in sharing the gospel This is uncomfortable, folks. I'm just asking you to buckle up and just step into this with me because I feel this just like I hope you feel it. Our knowledge of God is indicated by whether or not we share the gospel. How well we know the Lord and how deeply we fear Him and and believe what He has said the indicator for whether or not that has really latched on in our hearts is whether or not we share the gospel. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, like knowing what happens when we die, knowing the holiness of God, knowing how sinful we are, knowing all of that, the natural reaction, if we really believe that, is to persuade others, right? It's like the bridge is out. On the edge of town, therefore knowing that the bridge is out, we persuade others to stop. Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The the fact of the matter is, if we are ever going to share the gospel, we have to love God more than we love other people. We have to love God and care about what He thinks about us more than we care about what people think about us. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Friends, I think if we can be honest, I'm giving you the insight into my heart. Many times, the way that verse looks in my heart is, therefore, knowing the fear of men, we stop short. The Bible says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. It also means that we love people. We have to love God first. If we don't get this, the ordering of these loves right, we'll never share the gospel. If we don't love God first, others second, and then ourselves, we'll never share the gospel. But he, he uses this verb that's very intentional. He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we 
persuade others. This, this verb has to do with trying to convince people to believe something so deeply that, that they act on it. So we have to love God if we're ever going to share the gospel. We have to love people and be concerned about their life and whether or not they're living the abundant life that Jesus says is available now and whether or not they will live with Him forever in eternity. We have to love others if we're ever going to share the gospel. Friends, if we get these loves misplaced, we won't do it. We won't share the gospel. If our love for self is, a, is placed above our love for God, we will prefer to play it safe. Don't risk the relationship. Don't make things awkward at the family gathering. Whatever you do, don't talk about politics and religion, right? Those are the two social rules. Just don't do it. Don't risk it. And friends, my goodness, certainly don't beckon a wayward person to leave their sin and follow Jesus. You'll even have professing believers tell you that you're doing something unloving. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. There's a very specific kind of order that things must be in in our hearts if we're going to get this right. The fear of the Lord, which means knowing Him, knowing who He is, remembering, acting as if it's true. That will motivate us to share the gospel. And the converse of that, the backside of that coin is that if we're not sharing the gospel, that's like a warning light on our dash panel. It's like my dad always told me, like, if you're driving down the road and the check engine light comes on, it's not a, you know, probably just a sensor or something, get it checked out. But if that check engine light starts flashing, right, which I'm ashamed to say it did when I was doing 110 miles an hour on Interstate 85 one time in college, it's started doing that. I said, oh goodness. Thankfully, with our technology problems, this is not being live streamed, and so my dad's not watching that. <laughs> Therefore, knowing the fear of your dad, don't make confessions years later. I'd like to point out one more truth the Bible says about how our love for others, our love for God, it intersects with evangelism. If you'll look in chapter 4, Chapter 4, verse 1, maybe just on the, the page on the left, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, there's another therefore, it's full of them. Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. And even if our gospel is veiled, like shrouded, made murky, not able to be seen clearly, even if it's veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's just not us who's impressive. It's the gospel that we carry that is. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. When you share the gospel, you may feel this way. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The first few verses, isn't it interesting that immediately after talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel, he starts talking about suffering. And friends, we've lived in the United States for decades. Everybody who is in the room has been living for a period of time in our history where you would be mostly commended for sharing the gospel than you would be reviled. But we're walking into a season, into a cultural climate, where you will be reviled instead of celebrated for sharing the gospel. And here's the danger. The danger is when you begin to feel pushback from sharing the gospel, you will begin to wonder, is it me? Am I doing something wrong? Am I doing something unloving? Am I doing something judgmental by simply sharing the gospel? But what the Bible says is that the reason that people do not believe the gospel is because they have been blinded by the enemy. And it's like taking a flashlight, like, a, like an LED flashlight into a dark cave looking for someone who's been lost in there and they've been in the darkness for so long that when they see the very light that can save them and can lead them back to food and oxygen and family, when they see that light in immediately, like initially, the reaction is, turn that thing off. The Bible says that the, the light has shone into the darkness even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The danger is, I know this is a hard sell, because what I'm telling you is, I'm telling you, even when the culture would have celebrated us, we didn't do a good job of sharing the gospel. And so now that the culture is reviling us, it's time to get about it which is only harder than it used to be. I realize this is a hard sell. But let me encourage you that when you do share the gospel and when our church tries to do faithful, I mean, folks, we're trying to do something here at Trenton Baptist Church that not a lot of people are swinging at. I know that sounds a little braggadocious, but I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to highlight a, a deep understanding of what conversion is. We're trying to prioritize church membership, like healthy, meaningful church membership in a time where there are churches right down the road that will say that church membership is unbiblical for, for reasons that are uh, logically confusing. We're trying to make sure that we're making disciples who understand that the gospel transforms our life. This is not an easy believism. This is a, a whole life understanding of the gospel. We're swinging at something that's hard. And we're doing it in the midst of a culture that doesn't like it. And so the temptation is going to be to think, wait a second, we're not having the results that we were having in 1996. Something must be going wrong. We're not having the results we used to have in the glory days. Something must be going wrong. And what the Bible is saying here is that we do not amend the gospel. We do not edit it to fit cultural desires. Because when we begin to edit the gospel, it loses its power to save. 
And so whether there are 138 people here like there were last week or whether there are three people here, we will continue to preach the unedited gospel because we know that it is the only gospel that can save. We do not lose heart. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We are afflicted but not crushed. Persecuted, yes, but not abandoned. We look to the things not that are seen but to the things that are unseen. And this flows directly into point number two. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Greg, it's 1046 and you're only on your second point. And I know you always have three because I'm looking on the back of the bulletin. You've got to speed it up. You've already had a baptism. <sighs> point number two. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a problem, you can take it up with Miss Dawn. <laughs> Point number two, tell the truth. I said that this point flows directly from point number one. Point number one was love others. Point number two is tell the truth. Friends, we are living in a time where it is increasingly being assumed, even among people who think that they are Christians, that if you tell the truth you are being unloving. It is loving to tell the truth. We must tell the truth if we are going to be loving our neighbors. That doesn't, that doesn't give us a license to be a jerk, right? I mean, don't hear me say, like, just tell the truth however you want to tell it. Ephesians tells us to speak the truth in love. But we must Tell the truth. Look in chapter 2, and I'm going backwards, moving upstream. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of God, of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word, like it's a product to be consumed. We're not peddlers of God's Word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The Bible does say that believers are like a fragrance to those around us. This, this touches on the, on the very important point that we need to be honest about. Many a person has left the church because the believers who were professing Christ were not living the content of that profession. Can we just be honest about that? It's a reality. They didn't have qualms about the resurrection. That wasn't hard for them to get, around, get their heads around. They weren't having issues with interpretive matters related to the Greek or Hebrew manuscripts. That wasn't their issue. The most common reason that people walk away from the faith, or at least that they report, is seeing hypocrisy among Jesus' followers. If that's Christianity, I want no part. Now... It doesn't often work, but I always try to push back just a little bit when folks give that objection because, I mean, frankly, I've been in the church my whole life. I've seen a lot of nasty stuff. You know, people say, 
people say, you know, I've been hurt by the church, so I left. I'm like, well, hey, I'm a pastor. I get hurt by the church for a living, right? You know, I, I totally understand. Totally understand. That's not a comment about you guys. I'm just saying. <laughs> Placing our trust in sinners is never where the safe money is. Like, friends, don't look at me and expect me to be your stand-in for Jesus, right? I'm simply trying to share what the Word of God says. And I'm going to fail to do what the Word of God says, right? I'm going to try to be a good example. The Bible calls pastors to be a good example. But the reality is, if you're building your faith on me, you're making a poor bet. Let me encourage you. Build your life on Jesus. Build your life on the God who's revealed in this Bible. And when people fail, your faith will not be wrecked. We do, however, serve as an aroma to those around us. But I love how Paul does this. Even woven into this, that, that your life before other people is, is a kind of aroma, he also says that we're not peddlers of God word, God's word. We speak in the sight of God. We speak. You may have heard that quote that was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi who said, at all times preach the gospel and when necessary use words. You know, I get that. I know what he's saying. He's saying basically live your life as a gospel you know, witness. But the reality is if we never use our words, we have not shared the gospel. I'm going to leave you with a little story. I read this in Don Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines. He says this. I heard the story of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, his boss said, That's great. I'm a Christian, and I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me? He said to his boss. You were the very reason that I have not been interested in the gospel all of these years. How can that be? The boss wondered. I've done my very best to live the Christian life around you. And the employee said, that's the point. You lived such a good life without telling me that it was Christ who was enabling you to do it that I thought it was possible for me to do it without God too. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Friends, Preach the gospel at all times, and because it's necessary, use words. That's what we ought to be doing. The Bible calls this an open statement of the truth. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. You see why this is so important? If we begin to adjust the gospel based on what the culture says is fashionable, it will actually lose its power. When we get, begin to add things on to the gospel, it loses power. When we take things away from the gospel, it loses its power. If we lose the ability to call what the Bible calls sin, sin, we will actually fail to give our neighbors a gospel that can save them. We think we're being more loving than God. We think we're being more understanding than God. And people say, oh, Greg, come on, it's 2023. Let's be realistic. It's my favorite word. We've moved on from that stuff. We need to tone it down a bit, and then maybe we will see more baptisms. It's false. 
It's absolutely false. No one likes a watered-down Coca-Cola and a watered-down gospel cannot save. It won't do the work. If we tone down the gospel, it cannot save. If we edit the gospel, it cannot save. If we put works back into our gospel instead of the free grace of Jesus, it cannot save. We'll give our neighbors a gospel that cannot save them. If we take repentance out of the gospel, we've given them a gospel of mental agreement. They think they're believers because they've made a decision. But they've never repented of their sins. It's a gospel that cannot save. Yes, the gospel offends. But it also saves. Here's our last point. And I love this because this is my fear. With all of these five, with all of these five spiritual disciplines, my fear, because I know how I am, my fear is that you'll hear me up here just giving you a bunch of, hey, do this harder, Christian. Here's a list of ways that you're, you're failing. You know, try, try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, white knuckle this thing, and be a better Christian. It's not the point. If you've heard that, I've failed you. Here is how the Bible ends this point, this teaching on evangelizing. Number three, point number three. We were supposed to, we were supposed to love others, we're supposed to tell the truth, but lastly, we are supposed to trust God. This passage in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, they tell us over and over and over again that we have the power to save no one. If anybody comes to know Jesus, it's not because of our slick production value. Certainly not today. If anyone comes to know Jesus, it's not because of the eloquence of the preacher. If anyone comes to know Jesus, it's not because of how well-kept the building is or how organized the program is or how welcoming the people are. If anyone comes to know God, it is because God has done a work in their heart. And that is what we need to lean on. That is where we place our trust. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. My, perhaps my favorite three verses in the Bible. Verses 4, 5, and 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us, He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We are not enough. The word sufficient just means enough. Your enoughness does not come from your education. Your enoughness does not come from how much of the Bible you've read, although I would encourage you to, to read it. And I hope that this is incredibly freeing to you. Because I can imagine a number of you thinking in your hearts, Brother Greg, how can I share the gospel? I don't even know where to begin. I don't know enough. I don't have enough memorized. I, I've only been a Christian for a few years. If you feel that you're not articulate enough, it's God who makes you sufficient. If you feel like you, you won't think of the right words or the right passages of the Scripture, God is the one who has made you sufficient. Do you feel like you're not gifted enough? God has made you 
sufficient? Do you wonder if you have failed too much in the past to ever be used in the future? God has made you sufficient. And the reality is this is all for a reason. This is all part of the logic. Look at chapter 4. I'm I'm trying to tie these things together in a way that hopefully is compelling to you. Chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Do you feel unintelligent? Share the gospel anyway because what God wants to do is show himself to be intelligent. Do you feel unwise? Share the gospel anyway because God is not here to make you look wise. He wants to make himself look wise. Do you feel weak? Too weak to share the gospel? Share the gospel anyway because what God is trying to do is show himself to be strong, not you. If you feel unimpressive, that's okay. The point is that God would be shown to be impressive as you share the gospel. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We're the jars of clay. We're the ordinary pots, unimpressive, not powerful. You drop us the wrong way, you set us down too hard, we're going to break. But why has God put his treasure into jars of clay? To show that he is altogether worthy. That's why. That's why. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Friends, I would suggest to you, I mean, I have, you know, I'm, I have a, a bachelor's degree in this stuff. I have a master's degree in this stuff. I'm, I'm working on a doctorate. I can go out and share the gospel and people just look at me like i got three heads. And I promise you that one of you could go out and talk to the very same person two weeks later. If you've been a believer for one week, you could share the gospel the best that you know. And if you share the gospel and the Lord moves, he could save them. It's not about us. It's about Him and His power. Don't give in to the trick of the devil, which is to make you think that you're not sufficient. The Bible already admits that you're not and that I'm not. But it says our sufficiency comes from God. So share the gospel and watch Him work. I I don't know what would happen if everybody in this room shared the gospel one time this week. Who knows what would happen? The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Friends, the only way that I know how to close is just to remind you of what I have said. You know, they say when you're doing a presentation, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. I'm going to tell you what I told you. First, love others. Love others. Love the lost. Plead with them. Persuade them. Live your lives before them. Love them so much, and this is how you can know that you love them, are you willing to endure suffering for sharing the gospel? That's how you'll know that you love them. Are you willing to endure the consequences that come when you share the gospel? That's the measure of our love for them. Number two, tell the truth. Know the gospel Share the gospel. Don't adjust the gospel. Let the gospel do its work. It's like me, and I'm not a very big guy. I had a dream last night. This is crazy. This is just totally random. I had a dream that I met Freddie Couples, the golfer, you know, and that he was like he was like six nine, which he's not. He's more like my size. But because I'm my size and and not a, a very big guy, on the golf course I was always trying to swing way too hard, right? You know, hit the ball way too hard. And the thing about golf is it's not about how hard you swing. It's all about timing. And what my dad would always tell me is let the club do the work, right? Don't try to like white knuckles, you know, and, and knock it out of the park. Just swing with good rhythm and good timing. Let the club do the work because that's how we share the gospel. The gospel has the power. 
The gospel can save. So just let the gospel do the work. Number three, trust God. Remember that if our church ever sees another baptism, it'll be because God did a work, not because we did anything. Trust the Lord. Ask Him to save. He's not looking for you to save anyone. He's just looking for some feet, some feet that are willing to take the good news where it is not known. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this gospel. And Lord, this is a daunting task. I mean, most of us, Lord, we are so captive to the fear of man uh, that uh, it overshadows our fear of God, if we're quite honest. And, and Lord, it's the fear of man. It's the fear of other people and what they will say or whether or not they will reject us. Or, or even it's the fear of, of what people will think when they hear that we shared the gospel with someone. Uh, we, we called someone to turn away from their sin. And isn't, isn't that a little hard-nosed and judgmental and things like that in our day and age, Lord? Uh, it is a very daunting task to share the gospel, and yet you have said when your church is faithful to do it, you will honor it, and some will believe. We pray that you would give us such great boldness. We pray that the gospel would go out not simply from this pulpit, but from the pews of this church into our neighborhood and to the nations so that we can see the world turned upside down. Or at least, God, if you would grant us this, our little corner of the world. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.